Welcome to Industry 4.0. Welcome to Industry 4.0, your source for this week's laid back and relaxed tech news. I'm Jeff Batinsky, and I have the pleasure of being joined tonight by Ryan Thompson, Kyle Fisher, and Urban Lucas. We're glad to have you with us tonight. So to jump right in, Sprint is now taking pre-orders on the Essential phone and is offering a $260 discount off the original price. Sprint is offering the standard black model of the phone for now, and is saying pre-ordered units will be shipped by Monday, August 28th. So um, let me break down that pricing and discount a little bit for everyone tuning in. Technically, this is for a lease. So at the end of the lease, $525 of the 700 total price of the phone has been paid off. That includes $260 in discount and $265 out of pocket over the course of the lease. At this point, users can either trade in the phone or pay off the remaining $175 to own the phone outright for a total cost of $440 after the discount. Guys, there's a, a lot of buzz about the Essential phone in the past few days. Uh, it's created by Andy Rubin, who's an original founder of Android. And now we have some intricate pricing plan details out there from Sprint. Uh, it looks pretty cool to me from what I've seen. So what's your take? Yeah, the hardware looks really great. Um, it's, it's good to see Andy Rubin back in the uh, phone game again, because I know he left after... Uh, he left Google for a bit. He took a little break. Uh, I was wondering myself what would, what he's going to do next. Um, previously to actually inventing Android or coming up with the idea of Android, he made the um, T-Mobile Sidekick. I don't know if you guys remember that phone uh, by Danger. Uh, he yeah. was one of the key people in making that phone. That was a huge hit. Um, but we'll see where this... Uh, phone will go um, it's kind of hard to break into the market with the big players like Apple and Samsung but uh, if the hardware is good and the price is good which uh, in this case if you're on Sprint it is um, it looks like uh, it should be a really good phone if you want to pick up something that runs fairly close to stock Android if not fully stock Android um, get a good experience and that screen looks gorgeous it covers the entire front of the phone um yeah i mean i i also like the screen a lot uh, i'm not fully in tuned on what necessarily like every single phone has to offer like i said in a previous episode i asked you guys what um what phone i should be getting what phones i should be looking at so clearly i'm not 100 percent in tune with the phone game but um i, I do believe honestly that uh Especially with it, with someone who's been a player in the industry before and, and came from Samsung and worked with Google, I think having somebody like that step into the arena and possibly challenge these two other other big juggernauts is only going to breed further advances in the phone technology. You're going to see more competition, especially if it is a success like it sounds like it could be. Um, I just think having more players in the market obviously always helps. The more competition there is, the, the more people want to get better and be better than the rest of them. So regardless of what it's called or what the pricing point is, I think just more competition is, is, is better for everyone. So. Yeah. To me, I'm looking at the specs and it looks very similar to uh, the Nexus 6P actually. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the specs are similar. The selfie camera, the actual camera itself is a little, uh, maybe not even the equivalent, but what I like to see is the Bluetooth 5.0. I know we talked about that in an, uh, in, in an earlier episode and they're just like kind of unrolling the, the 5.0 these days now. And they're trying to make like a Bluetooth net, so you um, 
well, for future use with the 5.0, um, being able to sync with devices all through your house. So that's like one of the, one of the early, uh, this is the first time I've seen that hardware introduced on a phone. Yeah, the first actual phone that came out with the Bluetooth 5.0 was the Galaxy S8, um, which really doesn't, it uses the one new feature that it comes with on that phone is that you can stream to two different devices at the same time with two different sources. So you can send one source like music to a one Bluetooth device. And let's say if you want to call someone, you can send that audio to another Bluetooth device separately. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Haven't tried it myself, but um. I think it's cool. I mean, I, I don't. What, what do you guys think of this? Have you read about this modular approach to this phone? Yeah, um, what, it, it's like an attachable 360 degree camera and things like that. Yeah, so they have this the, these pins in the back. I don't know if I can find a picture. There it is. Uh, so I'm showing a picture right now on the video feed. Um, there's these two pins in the back that only provide power and what they're using is not Bluetooth for connectivity. It's something called wireless USB, apparently better reliability than Bluetooth and also faster, uh, for communicating the actual data between the phone and whatever device that you attach to it. And the first device that they came out with is the first party add on, um, is a 360 camera. This apparently is the smallest 360 camera in the world. Uh, and the reason they could make it so small is because uh, they didn't need all the extra hardware need, uh, for the communication. Like the wireless USB standard uh, is uh, very efficient. So they don't have to put all these extra radios in there. Uh, they just needed a simple, pretty much just camera and, and ability to provide power and you get full 360 video or pictures uh, right on the phone. But this modular idea has been played around with with a lot of phones. I know the Moto mods currently uh, for the Moto Z uh, series of phones that are out right now have a bunch of mods available to them. Uh, it's been a very interesting concept in terms of having a modular phone. You just swap out different parts, um, make it improve your phone or whatever you want. It's a, it, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but, uh, it's good to see another, someone else have a little bit different idea of how modular phones should work and we'll see what they do with it. It's kind of, uh, it seems like their general approach to this phone is to keep it lightweight, so to speak. Um, in, in general, to keep the phone itself small while offering the capability that you'd get from another device. Um, you know, it's an, the edge to edge screen where it has that cut out for the camera. Um, gives you a larger screen on an overall smaller frame for a phone, so it'd be more comfortable. Um, no headphone my... jack. Uh, yeah. I'm seeing a trend which I don't like. Yeah, no it's headphone been jack. getting into the headphone jack. <laughs> oh man, dongle life. <clears throat> I can't resist change too much, Irvin. <laughs> I just don't get it. Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know. Uh, well, we're getting to those. You know. These wireless earbuds could become a big thing. It is nice to not have that wire attaching you to the phone. Um, you know, it opens up the possibility of way more comfortability when you're moving around. If you're at the gym, if you want to keep your phone in your pocket while you're listening to something and not have a cable hanging out. Um, we all well, know yeah, that, And that's why it's catching on. I mean, 
Yeah, or at a, least from a consumer standpoint. I think it's cool. I mean, I, I get it too. You know, it's change is uncomfortable, but yeah, I think cord cutting has always been like a like a good trend. Um, but like we're seeing here with the cell phones, it's a good way for the manufacturers to keep things proprietary as well, like Apple did. Oh yeah. yeah. Good point. Just make the things the way that I want you to make them. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> Isn't that idea of manufacturers actually listen to their customers? You know, this uh, titanium and ceramic uh, body, I think, is an uh, interesting choice as well. I know I don't know if he'll wind up listening, but I know my cousin could use something like that because he's probably broken about five phones in the past two years, dropping them. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. think that's a, a nice, a nice direction to take uh, the smartphone market. Yeah, they making phones durable is a definitely a good move. I know that Mortal has been has just announced, I think, a shatterproof phone. But the issue wow. with that one is that it's a plastic screen. So literally anything will scratch it. You put it in your pocket next to anything that's metal, it'll scratch it instantly because it's a plastic screen. That's why it won't chatter. But this is a full uh, Gorilla Ghost 5, uh, so it's pretty good on the scratch resistance, up, up to par with any other phone. And that titanium and the ceramic will definitely make it uh, harder to scuff up or even shatter uh, yeah. for sure. And it's the first phone that I've seen with actual titanium. Everyone else is making a, a phones out of aluminum, which is yep, a soft aluminum. metal. And, you know, I mean, as, as is probably expected, uh, USB-C connection for this phone, uh, a dongle at least. Uh, no USB-C headphones. Uh, sorry, Irvin. But... <laughs> it's just, I don't know why, but still to this day, every time I... I hear that something was made with aluminum. I don't want to trust it <laughs> because I'm like aluminum foil. I could break that when I was a baby. It's the same <laughs> thing, right? Never mind the thickness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how thick it is. It's going to be easy. I can break that. Wait, what are planes made out of again? <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Also, we have to start pronouncing correctly. Like uh, Johnny, uh, alum uh, aluminium. Aluminium. <laughs> My buddy from college, Toby. Uh, he's from Nigeria and uh, he's got family in England as well. And aluminium, that's what it was off the bat. I did double take. What, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> There's an extra couple sounds in there. <laughs> Spoiled American, says always. Threw an extra four syllables. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, overall, this phone, I think, has up to par specs with the top uh, flash chicks out, out, uh, out there right now. If you're on Sprint, it's definitely a good deal. But uh, the good news is, if you wanna, if you're on any other carrier within the U.S., it's compatible with all four carriers. So if you could buy, if you want to buy it unlocked, you just pop your SIM card in. It's gonna work automatically, uh, which is nice. So it's now available to pre-order on uh, Sprint site, Best Buy, and I think somewhere else. I forget. I can't find it. What? what but you can definitely go on the West Best Buy website if you wanna um, pre-order it now. Um, yeah, it, it's a good alternative to Pixel phones. I know the Pixel phones are right around the corner. So if you're really looking forward to what Google is going to do in the next round of uh, stock Android experiences, uh, probably probably a lot of people are holding out to see what they're doing and wait to uh, see which one they're going to pick up, this essential phone or 
uh, the next pixel. But well, speaking I, of uh, speaking of anticipating Google, uh, mm -hmm. it looks like there's going to be a nice announcement regarding Android O coming this Monday from Google. Uh, which coincides with the solar eclipse that we're going to experience. And there's going to be a live streamed event in New York City um, at 2.40 p.m. Eastern time. Guys, Android O, once again, what are your thoughts? What do you think they're going to bring to the table? Yeah, so we know a lot about Android O already. Um, there was a developer preview, four of them total, that you could download if you own a Nexus or a Pixel phone. Um, I've been playing around with the developer previews. Uh, it's a lot of under the hood changes, um, but it's good uh, overall. Um, I don't have the exact like feature list, but I'm sure we'll get that on Monday. It was interesting that they're lining it up with the solar eclipse. And also uh, they're probably gonna announce the name of Android O, what they're gonna call it. And more than likely it's gonna be Oreo, but uh, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be available on all current Nexus devices um, from anything uh, newer than the Nexus 6P. Uh, so the Nexus 6P and up. Um, it's going to be available according to sources on the 21st. So uh, if you have one of those phones, a Pixel or a Nexus 6P or greater, um, you're going to download the final version of Android O. Uh, which is one of the perks of owning a Pixel or a Nexus phone. You get updates first before anyone else. Um, that that includes security updates too, which is always nice. Keeping Google keeping you secure. Um, I'm yes. not sure which one of you guys is going to be the first to get to experience this when the time comes, but I'd certainly like to hear hear a review when that's possible. Uh, Urban, I know you're kind of cutting edge with when you can start using developer access and things like that. Uh, can we can we expect that from you in the future? Yeah, I have a Nexus phone uh, laying around that I'm using for development purposes. I'm not really using that for a daily use. I have a Galaxy S8, which isn't that good on updates. So I won't see this update for at least a year, I think. Uh, but that's Samsung's fault, not Google's. Um, but I'll definitely put this final uh, version on my Nexus that I have in the house and, and give you guys a, a preview or, or a review. Uh, maybe I'll use it as my main form for a couple of days to actually get a use for it. Um, and also, Thompson, if you once it releases, you can download it and give it about a week and let you play with it and give your thoughts as well, because I know you have a 6P. Um, Oh, I would definitely be all about that. Uh, my current 6P, though, is experiencing a battery issue, which I'm not uh, very happy about. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's kind of a widespread uh, battery issue. And, and yeah. actually, that, that drills me back to the last point of that essential phone. I like seeing third-party uh, vendors enter the saturated market because I feel like big manufacturers kind of come in with these these you know flagship phones. And they're awesome. They have the hardware specs to last you for years. But there's always some little piece that's going to go on them that, you know, it'll give you maybe a good year or two. And then it's kind of like the old school phones that they would just improve the hardware every two years. And you were contractually based, so they'd have the new version to buy. So they need a reason for you to go out and buy a new phone, even though the hardware on these is so substantially adequate. So I, I'm not sure if it's like a... yeah. <laughs> I saw that there was a lawsuit against Huawei for uh, this particular... Uh, 
incident <laughs> where this is such a widespread issue and it's easy to RMA it. But I, I'm I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing a trend and I'm wondering if the smaller ones like uh, the OnePlus, you know, the, the independent vendors and, and the essential phone actually build better quality pieces. Yeah. It's all I about the so. battery, man. All about that. All battery. about those batteries. I mean, it's been the the I feel like the number one complaint since since smartphones became widespread is why doesn't this last longer? I mean, it's right. <laughs> you give us all this stuff to do on it, and then it dies in like twenty minutes. And, and of course, that's after after like a year or so of using is really really when I've started to see uh, minor battery issues on every phone that I've had. Um, obviously, yours is a little bit more serious, a little more widespread than. Than mine were of just regular usage, regular uh, uh, wear and tear. But uh, yeah. it's 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 been my number one thing is that I want a you know long long living battery. So I yeah, agree. With you. I hope that all these third party developers coming in well, really push people to to extend that. Yeah, exactly. And mine mine was excellent for that first year. The first year was great, and then like it hit that year mark, and suddenly it was like <laughs> it just went. And now now I'm it's shutting down at like eighty percent of full charge. That well, makes sense. That's, yeah, that's definitely no good. Was there any uh, software update that you did that coincided with that? There, there have been many software updates, yeah. I just did a factory reset, and I'm testing it right now. <laughs> so what I'm kind of asking for is because I always saw a trend, at least with my iPhones in the past, when they released a new iOS or a big patch or something like that, mm-hmm. I always saw degradation in battery performance. It wasn't yeah. an 80% to zero situation, except for when you know, they had a known issue. But um, right. I'm curious, was there anything like that where you updated the OS or anything uh, recently? Yeah, uh, I did a recent update probably about three or four weeks ago. I, I thought it was related to that too, but I'm doing a factory reset and testing it out before I officially RMA it. Fingers crossed, right? Yeah. I noticed yeah. the same thing with all my, I, every phone I've had is an iPhone, so I noticed the same thing as you, Jeff. It was usually shortly after updates, I'd be like, ah, what? And of course, you know, you have the phone for two and a half, three years, you have so many updates on there, all of a sudden you're not getting anything. So, yeah, well, it's nice to get all the bells and whistles everyone's bragging about with their next generation iPhone that came out in the late summer or fall or whatever. And you want to be cool too and talk about all the cool stuff you can do. And then your iPhone 4S just can't, you know, it's not up exactly. To yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, Irvin, you're still using that iPhone 4, right? Uh, yeah, I am. How's it running? Oh, iPhone 5, 5S. It runs great. So the first, I had the original beta of iOS 11 on there, uh, and that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and each and every update for the beta uh, made it significantly better. Uh, now it's actually uh, quite usable. It's up to the same performance that it was in during uh, iOS 10. So it's good. I think the, the iPhone 5S is the last phone that supports iOS 11. Uh, so anything before that doesn't support it. Um, but it's good to see that they actually put the effort in to make the performance decent on that old phone. Um, and it runs fine. I did have to replace the battery because it was giving me issues because it's quite a bit older phone. So, uh, But after I did that, uh, battery life has been perfect. Um, but that's nice. just the nature of battery. <laughs> I think we've reached peak phone in terms of processing power uh cameras could always get better uh but i think the next big innovation that we need in in phones is battery life technology uh to improve it make it last at least a day if not two uh but i think that should be the big 
uh, next step for in terms of phone tech. Because really, it, these these high-end phones provide enough power for you to do pretty much anything that you want. It's just the battery life that needs to improve to get you through the day. And I don't know if this is true, but I remember a while ago hearing that bat- that uh, and I'm going to sound like such an idiot here, but the batteries, like the more you charge them, the more often you charge them without them draining low, you know, low enough. It's it actually hurts the battery's life, yeah, and it can affect uh, how how long your charge lasts or what what truly is quote unquote 100 percent charge. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I, I've someone even told me that letting it die was good, which I later found that was not true, but. Um, like basically going a hundred to, to one and then plugging it in is, is what you should do. So, and a lot of people don't know that. I mean, the, the, the casual tech user just says, Oh, it gave me that 20%. So I'm just going to plug it in. Well, if you keep plugging it in at 20%, now the, now the battery's like, Oh, that means I'm dying. All right, cool. So that's kind of what the new zero becomes after a while. It almost like remembers what you do and responds accordingly. Yeah. The, the charging phone batteries, uh, batteries in general, uh, the, the, it's very dependent on how the manufacturers design the battery and the chemistry that it uses. Uh, but it's definitely true that, um, the, how much charge the actual battery holds will definitely degrade if you charge it a lot, let's say a couple times a day up to a hundred percent, uh, or, uh, if you don't let it drain all the way down, um, and then charge it fully back up before you start using it again. Uh, that's, that's definitely true. Um, I know that for the Galaxy S8, when they came out with that phone, uh, Samsung made a big promise that uh, within two years, the phone will retain, I think they said, at least 95% uh, of its battery capacity. That's wow. after two years. Uh, typically, that's around 80 75% on every other phone after two years. So that's how much capacity it actually will be after two years. We'll see if that actually becomes true. Uh, but that was their claim. Impressive. Uh, yeah. Right. But I, I always wonder, like, what incentive do these manufacturers actually have to build a longer lasting phone? Because they always have the next one in line, you know? Yeah. Just to compete with each other, I think. And they yeah, would... they could make the, like you were saying, like, you can make the battery better, but... And then still come out with the thing with the with the bells and whistles, like Jeff was saying earlier. Yeah, you're so. not gonna have someone come out and say, "Here's a phone that won't die for a week," because why would they do that when they don't have to? Like right. you can get the oh days charge, and that's something no one else is doing. Then it's 26 hours instead of 24, and on and on. At least that's I mean, my. Opinion. I, I know waterproof is like a big it's like a big uh, seller right now. Oh, you got a waterproof phone, you can drop it in a pool, all this other stuff. I want I want a phone that I can charge for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Like you know, what I mean, give me some two weeks. So you throw that out there, I'm gonna buy that immediately. Yeah, but you can Instagram in the pool, man. <laughs> <laughs> not, n- not with, not with the essential. Yeah, the essential is not waterproof, by the way. Oh, uh, rip, rip, rip. Yeah. If I'm in the water, I really don't want my phone. Like I'm doing something else. You know, like you said, I'd rather get a week's charge out of it when I am using it. Well, you know, what, Kyle, you're not a normal millennial then. <laughs> That's... Sorry, guys. I've disappointed you all. <laughs> guys, sorry we had to go there. But... <laughs> well, Jay, but he's used to swimming without a shirt on, Kyle, as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Google announced that they're having uh, the O release next week. 
Um, and Google has also been busy updating their Google Home device and actually giving us features that they promised back in uh, during Google I.O. of uh, this summer, I think. Yeah, uh, beginning of the summer, we had Google I.O. and they announced a couple new features for the Google Home, uh, one of which was actually making having the ability to make phone calls directly through the home. So um, Amazon's Alexa, or Echo device, um, has this ability to call other Alexa devices, uh, but Google just one-upped them and allowed is now allowing people to actually make phone calls uh, to anyone in their contact list. So you just say the magic trigger word, and you just say the name of a contact that you have on your phone, and it's going to call that person uh, using um, a phone number. So right now it's kind of interesting. Uh, so they promise by the end of this year, you can tie it to your actual phone number. So when you call it through the Google Home device, it'll show up like you're calling from your actual phone. So the person seeing the call will know who it's coming from. Uh, but right now that's not available. But if you have Google Voice, you can make it so that it shows your Google Voice number. Or if you have Google Fi, it'll show your Fi number as the person who is calling. But by the end of this year, they should have that ability so that you can tie it to any phone number and it'll show up as that number so you know exactly your friends know who exactly is calling this is also tied into the multiple users feature uh, which is nice so if you have multiple users in your house and you have a home uh, if you say um, if I say call someone within my contact list it's gonna look in my contact list and if someone let's say someone else in my house that I have the account tied to if they say a name it'll look that name up within their contact list not mine uh, which is interesting um, what are you guys thoughts on this you can call any business if you want so you want to say hey call the nearest pizza place around me uh, it'll give a call like that or you can actually do uh, phone calls to your friends no 911 yeah. though uh. I think it's uh I think it's awesome. I mean, it it seems like it's gonna be <clears throat> revolutionary as it felt for me to be able to be in my car and hold my home button and be like, call Irvin, and then my phone called Irvin and I could talk to him. You know, that that advancement in Bluetooth technology and um voice to text text recognition on smartphones. Um I think having that in your home is gonna be pretty awesome. Yeah. So how, how many people do you think it'll call when you say, oh, call Bay? <laughs> <laughs> you said Bay. Did you mean this one or this yeah. one? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you got to number your Bays, man. You got to Bay number one, number two, number three. Are you speaking from experience, Erwin? No. Uh, side Bay one, side Bay two. No I was about to say, your, your girl walks in your house and says, hey, Google, call side chick, and it starts ringing. You, oh. You're in trouble. <laughs> Uh, you know that nine one one, no dialing nine one one is interesting. So yeah, would, you rather, that too. would you rather have a one plus five that reboots once in a while when you call, or a Google <laughs> Home that can't even do it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe they can't tie it to an actual location because uh, I know location information is important with nine one one. 
So they okay. want to know tied to when you call 911 where you're calling from. Uh, maybe that's think, not supported. Um, I mean, it calls through Wi-Fi, right? So, I mean, that would that sounds like a good guess to me. But doesn't it know the location of your Google Home? Is that disabled? it? Actually, it actually asks your location within the settings. So you have to define where this Google Home is actually located. So the Google Home knows where it is. It probably just can't pass that information to 911 dispatchers because um, mm. I know the technology that 911 uses isn't that. Uh, high tech. I know they're that work they're working on uh, starting to accept in certain areas text messages to nine one one. So if you're in a situation where you can't actually call but you can send a text, uh, they are starting to support that or testing that feature. Uh, but the technology that they're using and the location accuracy, especially when you're calling from a smartphone, isn't that uh, accurate at the moment. So. We'll see if the nine. I think it's on the side of the nine one one and what type of technology that they're using on that end. I guess a workaround could be if you are using a Google Home and it's at your home, you could add a contact called nine one one and put your emergency actual emergency number, not nine one one, for your local police department in there. Yeah, Maybe a little workaround. Yeah, I, was, I, I feel like it would be really essential to have for, especially for, I mean, people who live alone, people who, especially if you have your, your parents, grandparents, what have you, if you have the the Google Home in their home, uh, you know, say they, they fall, something with collapse, it's a lot easier for them to, to yell something out than crawl over or find that little plastic button that you strapped around their neck years ago or... Life alert. Yeah, there you go, there you go. I couldn't figure it out. Life yeah. alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's better, it's better than reaching out and hit, find, making sure that life alerts on every day. It's, yeah, I think in- figuring that out would be, would be pretty important. I mean, if you, if I can call 911 from my locked phone with two passwords on it, I should be able to say, Hey Google call 911. Yeah. It's interesting that it can't actually receive calls. It can only make calls. So if someone calls you, it's still going to ring your actual phone, not the Google home. If let's say okay. that'd be kind of interesting if they oh. Enable just add a, forward, a forwarding feature from your phone. Like you hit a button on your phone, it would forward it to your Google Home and just use the microphone from that. Yeah, or it could probably detect that, hey, if you're in the house and it detects the Google Home is nearby, it's going to answer on the Google Home or ring on the Google Home and you can answer on there if you'd like. Um, that'd be kind of interesting, but that's if not you, currently enabled. If you connect to a speaker via Bluetooth, it knows to route the sound through there. So I would figure if you connect yeah. a device like a home, it could route the calls through there. But I don't know. That's just what I would think. Yeah, they added the Bluetooth feature as well this week. Uh, they enabled the Bluetooth radio on the Google Home. So that could be, I could test that out and see if that actually works uh, for making yeah. calls through Bluetooth right through the Google Home. Uh, it could be interesting. You got to test dialing on it just before our show. To I did. I did, but although Kyle didn't answer because he didn't know my I'm Google sorry. voice, it's it's fine. It came from a weird Google voice number uh, <laughs> that I never use. I um, did that normal. Uh, hey, I just got. I just missed a call from this number. <laughs> He's no. like, "Hey, it's Irvin." I was like, "Uh." <laughs> but it worked. Definitely worked. Um, um, another update that was announced for the Google Home is they finally have support for free Spotify accounts. So previously, you could only tie uh, your premium sound or SoundCloud Spotify account 
uh, to your Google Home, but now you can just use your free tier. So that includes the ads that come along with it, but now you can tie that account and listen to your music uh, on Spotify through your Google Home, which is nice. Now you have to do, do the premium account if you don't want to pay for that. Um, cool, yeah. Hey, spot, hey, Google Home, play me uh, this song. There's a radio of that song. Yeah. So, I like that because I am very cheap and only have the free one. So. Spotify premium, but not cheap enough to not buy a Google home. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah. Spotify premium is a recurring cost. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I know. I charged today for mine. See, see, so, you know, you know, the struggles of having the premium service at $13 really put a damper on me i'm over here living life with my 13 dollars in my pocket still <laughs> <laughs> all right all right different strokes that's but, like two lunches right there do you know what that does for a man it feeds him yeah for two <laughs> parts of two days unless you yeah. have two lunches every day like me whatever man <laughs> that's like three hours of sustenance but. that you wasted because you don't like listening to ads <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like More making shame. playlists and making them public and following my friends and playing whatever songs I want in whatever order. And... All right, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> stop, ruining, stop ruining my thing. I thought I had a thing there. Hey, I, I can shine, right? That's what Spotify lets me do because I'm premium. Yeah. <laughs> Tying it back in. Okay, I see. Good work. Tying it back into Google Home, though. I, I love this. I, I love that idea of saying, hey, Google, play me this song. I used to dream of this when I first started using Pandora back in the day, believe it or not. I used to want to yell at my phone. I wish I was like, why can't it do this? Like, it can do other things with your voice. I just want to yell, like, out of the shower, or, like, somewhere in the house when I'm not near the phones. Hey, play this song. Like, I want to hear this song, or I want to go to this radio station. And now you can do that. That's so cool. I mean, it only took five years but <laughs> yeah, it's still really sick though i agree yeah it could get really annoying at house parties though if it listens to everybody you get that yeah. one person who wants to hear the same song over and over again should be able to lock it <laughs> lock it for a owner yeah only recognize my voice um right you can't currently do that or about that right it, it can do that with some things so can yeah set- yeah so you can't lock it down to a specific voice uh, but you can train it so it recognizes your voice to do the thing that I mentioned earlier is to look up your uh, specific contact list. So if you're asking for a certain number, it's going to look in your contact list, not the other person's. Or if you look, if you ask for, let's say, your calendar appointments, it's going to say your calendar appointments, not the other person's. Um, oh. And if someone randomly just says, hey, what's my agenda today in the house? It's not going to say anything because it won't recognize the voice, so it won't reveal private information that I might have in my contact or in my calendar or contact list. How about nice. your Spotify account? Is yeah. that tied to your? No, it's not. So anyone in the house can say, "Hey, uh, you know who play a song," and it's going to uh, start playing that song, and it doesn't matter what voice, whose voice it comes from. Well. You know, things things to do. Yeah. We'll get there. 
if someone decides to ruin your house party, you just throw them out. That's the solution for now. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I know you're walking around the house, Jay Buzz, uh, doing the night at the Roxbury every time you pick a song, right? I do it all the time. Anyway, any any uh, last comments on the Google Home or any other topics discussed, guys? I just like to see that they're actively developing and making it better, uh, giving us features that they promised during Google I.O. Uh, it's good that they're actually working on stuff and making it improve and making it more competitive with the Amazon Echoes and all the other smart speakers that are on the horizon, like the HomePod. Um, so it's, it's good to see these updates uh, for sure. Um, all the the in, in into uh incremental uh but at least they're have to actively working on them right i completely agree anything thompson good to go oh i'm good to go <laughs> right. so uh with that we're gonna take a short break here uh for everyone at industry 4.0 thanks for joining for the first half and we will catch you shortly Welcome back to Industry 4.0. We're still here for a successful second half of the episode, or at least we hope successful, because the first half was very successful. I think so, at least. But that being said, thanks for sticking with us. We still have Jay Buds. Uh, we still have Ryan Thompson. We still have Irvin on the line with us as well. Um, if you guys like what you've heard so far, I don't know how you're getting this right now. If you're watching live on Twitch, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube later, if you use one of your, your favorite podcatchers, whatever you do, make sure you're checking us out what, however you can. If you're going Google Play, iTunes, YouTube, you can just search Industry 4.0. Uh, on Twitter, we have a pretty active Twitter account and a Facebook account as well, sharing a lot of uh, uh, modern tech articles. Uh, on Twitter, you can go at Industry 4.0, all spelled out. That's F-O-U-R-O-H. Facebook.com slash Industry 4.0, all spelled out. Twitch dot com slash industry 4.0 all spelled out like uh, like i said before however you're getting us we appreciate you guys sticking around and don't forget if you love what you're hearing to give us some reviews rates subscribes comments uh it, all the feedback you can give us is always great we always appreciate it so make sure give us that feedback we'll bring exactly what you want to your ear holes every single week 
JBuds, in the first half, we touched on something when we talked about the Google Home uh, being able to make phone calls for you. One of the things that it was missing was an ability to uh, call 911. iOS 11, during the beta, they have introduced something that is almost the opposite of that, where they give you the ability from your lock screen to be able to make that emergency call uh, almost incognito. You know, hit uh, the new feature, you hit the power button five times, and it brings up a separate screen. You can make an emergency SOS call from the lock screen uh, without having to have passcodes, fingerprint IDs, or what have you. Um, I don't know any other details you guys have heard about this or how excited you are about it. Um, how much of an improvement is this over any current functions that they might have for emergency calls? What's really all the details going into this? Um, it seems just kind of like a new a new standard, a little simpler. You know, you just jam on that button five times, and there there are your options. Um, which I think I think it's cool. If you make you know the power button's not used for a whole lot. You use it for screenshotting. Use it for turning on and off the phone, pretty much. Um, it's nice to see it get put to some better use, and it's a button you don't press unless you mean to, typically. So, I think that that's a good place to put an emergency dial, unless you have a bad habit of hitting it by accident, in which case you should change your habits. <laughs> or you hand it to your small child and they just press the buttons randomly and then slide it. Yeah, which, we should do a study. Which one's, which one's more common, dialing 9, 1, and then 1, or hitting the button five times in a row? I'm guessing the button five times in a row. Probably the button um, five times in a row, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, so this has a hidden sort of feature to it that a side feature that wasn't really advertised as part of being part of this feature but uh if you apparently uh jeff hasn't been able to uh replicate it on his phone he's and running now, the latest beta for no, ios 11 but no. uh if you activate this feature and just cancel out of it it will uh, disable Touch ID and it'll force you to enter your passcode instead to get into your phone. Uh, the reason that this might be useful is because a um, in 2014 there was a su Supreme Court case, uh, Riley versus California, uh, where um, the decision was upheld to uh, make it illegal for. Uh, law enforcement to uh, force you to um, enter your passcode. So you just refuse to enter your passcode. But if it was just a fingerprint uh, needed to unlock your phone, uh, they can uh, force you to put your fingerprint finger on the fingerprint reader to unlock your phone. So by doing this and disabling the Touch ID, if you're going through, uh, let's say, TSE security or going through another country, um, or you're coming from outside of the country into the U.S. Uh, and you're trying to get the TSA or, or someone, the Border Patrol, from, from getting into your phone and looking through uh, your photos or contacts or any data that you might have on there. This is a quick way to disable that fingerprint so that they can't uh, legally make you uh, unlock the phone and... Um, I'll give them access to it. So funny story. Um, just realized that I'm not on the latest beat up. So that's why I couldn't do it. Um, hey. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on five, not six. So shame, shame on me. Um, but that being said, good to know that it is my fault. 
this might also be a bug i was thinking that it might be a bug because it's not the final feature it could be removed could be quote-unquote fixed yeah nothing nothing the final ios 11 released uh but i hope that this is kept in or if it's actually like a feature that is added within ios that'd be pretty cool uh where you just press it five times and you know, I would, oh. I'd like to know if this was included in release notes. I didn't read them because, you know, again, just realized. But um, I'd, I'd like to know if this was included where it says, hey, your Touch ID won't work if you do this. Or if people just realized because, I mean, I wouldn't put it past people. But that's that's an impressive detail to pick up on. Because this feature, as you guys just saw before uh, our break ended, I could get to this SOS emergency screen. But the Touch ID worked when I did it. Uh, apparently in... Beta 6, Touch ID doesn't work. Um, I'm thinking that that was not an accident like you're getting at, Irvin. Mm-hmm. Um, impressive, first of all, that users pick up on this. And second off, I don't really know. I I don't see why they would mess around with that and make that disabled unless that was intended. I don't think they're yeah. going to get rid of that. Doesn't seem that something that was accidentally done. Exactly. So uh, I don't. I don't know why they would yes, roll that sure. back, especially. And, and Apple's all about protecting your privacy and and not letting people, uh, getting your phone information that they're not who isn't supposed to. So, this might be like a, undisclosed feature that they don't really publicly want to talk about, but it's there if people find it. Um, look which at the, look they at, did. Yeah, look at the reception already too. Like the positive feedback, the fact that we're talking yeah. about it on air right now is a good thing. Um, I don't know why they would take that back. Pre- previously, to do this, to get this type of, so you disable your Touch ID, you would have to reboot your phone. So every time you reboot your phone, it would force you to enter your passcode. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't do uh, your uh, Touch ID, but now you just press it five times, press the power button five times, and now you get the same. Uh, thing without needing to reboot your phone mm-hmm. or um, if you mess up your touch ID enough times in a row that's a way to do it too so uh, yeah. another little PSA I guess if someone's trying to force you to do this and you intentionally mess it up a couple times in a row they can't make you anymore yep that's true or if you have that feature turned on where after 10 attempts it actually wipes your phone well that's like still I guess you know for certain people out there take notes yeah. Yeah, if you you really want to uh, prevent people from getting into it after 10 attempts, it wipes everything on the phone. Yeah. Makes it the perfect burner phone, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. say you got some business you're taking care of on there. That's a nice and feature. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything bad, right? But usually, like, you hear stories about go, people going coming into the U.S., being asked to hand over every electronic device they take into a back room that you have no idea what they're doing with it. You have, they have no right to really look at anything. That's your private computer. You could have whatever you want on there. Um, so I, I don't, I don't like that. That's happening. Um, so this is a good way to def- deter people from actually having the ability to hand over the device and giving them the ability to actually look at stuff on there. I agree. I think ethically it's a great thing to keep that divide between government and, uh, you know, encrypted data. And I know that goes back to the San Bernardino trial where um, the FBI was trying to get into that phone too. Um, but at the same time, 
there's a lot of uh you, apple still has all your information they can still retain most of what's on your phone or gain it at any point they have access to it and they could also sell it to any other corporation they so choose yeah that's also true also apple is one of the bigger ones uh biggest companies who is really protective of of uh, privacy so i would be more scared of google trying to do that than apple uh but you never know they could just be saying that uh right on the good side of of users and but um it seems like apple is one of the main ones who really want to focus on privacy and security uh like you mentioned that san bernardino, san bernardino case where they refused to unlock that phone uh, even if they had the means to do it, because uh, that would open up the possibility to unlock other phones as well. What do you guys I feel like for Apple, it's actually a really big sales pitch. That whole privacy thing—that's yeah. you know the security and the privacy. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah, no, it's not even a sales get... pitch. They don't—they don't have to advertise themselves. You just—it—that's Apple. You know, it's like you just know they—they they stood up for their users. It's like I get—I get what you're saying, Thompson. I know I'm you know picking apart the words, but. I, that's just like it's like you know how google's a word just like you google something and that's how you look yeah. it up like apple's just synonymous with protecting <laughs> yeah it's it's just synonymous with protecting user data at this point to me like, i, I want to see what that looks like going forward with more biometric devices and different kinds of biometric devices too though um Rumor is the next iPhone won't have a Touch ID sensor. It's going to be just a face, facial recognition, uh, iris scanning type of so people, device. People are saying that because it doesn't have a home button, though. Yeah, I mean your phone has. And they had, your phone and has, they had trouble integrating the Touch ID sensor under the screen, according to rumors. We'll see what actually happens with the real phone once it comes out. But they were thought thinking about integrating the touch id since it won't have a home button a physical home button well your your phone has a touch id on the rear side the s8 we were just looking at that yeah. yesterday together it's on the it's on the rear uh like it is on most android phones so you know could you know who knows maybe apple's gonna have something like that or also in theory not that you would want to do it because of you know oil and smudging but couldn't you theoretically theoretically use a camera for this as well yeah Oh, that's what they're thinking. Oh, like to scan your finger? Yeah. A camera? I would think I that don't would know. work. Maybe. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. Anyway, um, you know, uncertain with things to come. Facial recognition, um, maybe iris detection in your eye or something like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of things trigger those on and off, how that's protected against uh, your privacy being invaded. And from a tech standpoint, what it looks like and how it's going to be sensed um, and how accurately it's done. But, yeah. I think it's just a, it's, it's really just the whole feature of it forcing you to, to type in your passcode again is just one less way, one less way that Bay can sneak into your phone and find <laughs> out who side chick really is. Bay one, <laughs> two, three, dot, 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 nine, ten. Which one, Kyle? <laughs> All of them. You got to protect yourself, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know. Ladies, I just, ladies you know. too. Ladies too. Mm-hmm. Ladies, ladies yeah. got to keep their stuff on lock. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking uh, of protecting yourself, so 
previously I talked about like having smart things in your home and I was very um, open about talking about not having any smart locks in my house because I didn't trust them. Now we have a reason why that is valid way of thinking. So uh, there's a smart deadbolt maker uh, by the name of Lockstate that has a smart deadbolt uh, that released a firmware update that uh, made uh, their locks inoperable after that software update. So they could not get into their house uh, just after a software update. So roughly 500 people uh, were affected uh, by this. And the firmware update was so bad, there was no other uh, way of updating that firmware after that bad firmware was downloaded to the smart lock. So it has to be returned to the manufacturer and they have sent out a brand new one. Um, so this is one uh, a bad size of what we call Internet of Things or putting everything online. And, and this is one of the main reasons that I would never at this point trust a smart lock uh, system currently in my home. Find the option to do it. That is just amazing. Did I'm sorry. It? Did you see this? Like, we talked about it, and and I even asked why. I was like, well, you know, if you're going everything else smart, why wouldn't you trust it? And I, you know, whatever. I think it's fine. And you explained why. And it's, and you're like, because I don't want to get locked out. Like, who knows? Anybody could hack and unlock my house. I could get locked out permanently if there's a glitch. And that's exactly like people got locked out of their houses. <laughs> and they, like, how do you get in? It's just a what house, guys. Now? It's just a house. What's the big deal? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, I don't know if you saw this little snippet, but apparently uh, Lockstate has, uh, has some ties to Airbnb, and 200 affected customers were Airbnb hosts. And some of them had to alter or cancel reservations as a result of this glitch. Ooh. Yeah. That's rough. Just, just twisting the dagger, you know? Side note, Irv. Super, no. super proud of you for that transition to this oh, topic, by the thank way. You. Thank you. I, I got to be the weird one and call it out, but I'm proud. It's <laughs> something, you know, it's something that you pride yourself on in a podcast. I'll give Irvin a little golf clap over here. Yes. Good work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like to uh, keep it uh, on the same level as, as Matt when he's not here. A, a attempt to at least. Matt, um, the shining star of Industry 4.0, much <laughs> like our own son. So, yeah, this is just one of the other, like, downsides, I guess, of having things on the Internet. Things could break, and, I mean, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm way too connected and I want to stop with this whole Internet of Things nonsense, but I also like having all these new features and trying them there's a certain limit that like i said is that i have internally like the smart lock and also one of the things that i will never do is put a webcam um uh, uh, like a one of those smart webcams into the house because you don't know it could be any hacked anytime someone could just turn on the webcam without turning on uh the light that notifies you that's actually recording you never know uh, that's one of the other things that I'm wary of putting something like that in my house. Um, 
I mean, oh, and, just and, just and, was and, about and, to look up Irvin's webcam. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, it's it, it's funny because we talk about how on other other devices we want as much security as possible when we're talking about our phone and our computer. But you would you kind of hope to get that same thing from from your home. So whether it's reacting the right way or no one else can start flickering my lights, but when it comes to actually the physical security of your home, you would hope that the security would be up to par. So uh, it, it's it's funny how it's almost like we expected it to work because so many other people are focused on security for all of our other electronic devices. And then your, your only worry would be, well, what if something screws up and I'm locked out of my house? And that's exactly what happened. So. Yeah, it definitely seems like there should be some kind of manual override. At least, you know, I would, I would trust him more if there was a manual override, if I could still physically get, get in with a key, you know. But that has its own separate bolt, so. Backup, something. Yeah, yeah exactly. If there's a backup, that means that if there's another vulnerability for an actual burglar to come in. That's maybe true. That. <laughs> so there's a downside to both, I mean. The, at, the backup at that point, is you same carry a hammer in your car. Yeah, that too. Smash your window out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's always that brute force. Brute force will always win. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Jin Yang's smart fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, oh. I got a comment though. I think we did this last time we talked about smart locks too. Is you're wary of this? Aren't you worried about self-driving cars, Irvin? Because <laughs> I am. I mean, when it comes down to it, doesn't this just reflect? And unfortunately for this company, but poor testing verification and validation yeah so, yeah for sure this, yeah. this could this could happen to well any company who is not careful and thorough yeah i don't really understand i mean this is what i always say when things like this happen in the production environment but i don't understand how this got through when this is what you do as a company how do you let this happen because um, they set a deadline for themselves that's <laughs> timelines that's yeah I mean. that's the name of the game <laughs> Deadlines are are so important to people. They want to nail these promises, and then they hold. They don't get the same quality. It happens in every single industry on everything. Just irresponsible project managers, right? Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a moment of silence so, there. Um, relating. Yeah. <laughs> what you said about self-driving cars. Right now, the only person or company that I trust on developing a proper self-driving car. Oh, do we get one guess? <laughs> no, there, oh, there's actually two. There's two. There's two. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> so Google's Waymo. And oh, I got gotcha. So I would, because they're really investing a lot of time and energy in, into getting this right. Um, and... I'm sure you're used to the technology that's in other cars on the market, Chevy, Ford. Um, they're not really up to par on that level. And I don't, they don't think of themselves as a software company or a hardware, like a, 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 a smart technology company. Um, they, they're still functioning as a, um, car manufacturer which has its own baggage with it um and this is a, a truly a software problem not a um a problem that can be solved with the knowledge of having the ability to mag manufacture uh hundreds of thousand cars every year 
Um, so right now, those are the two companies that I would trust in, in developing something uh, like self-driving cars is, is Google's Waymo and Tesla currently. Um, but that could be proven wrong. Uh, they could mess up and I could be wrong on that, but they haven't so far um, in a serious way. Um, and they're careful about releasing updates, especially for Tesla's, uh, to ensure that is the safest uh, possible. You can only do so much in terms of safety uh, that the user always has override and they can mess up on the user end. But on the software side of things, they, they're, I know they're trying to make everything as safe as possible. Self-driving cars, man. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to be okay with that. Like, I, I remember talking uh, to my to my dad about what our topics were going to be when we, when we were mentioning self-driving cars. And he was like, you know what? If if you you and your friends are excited about it, you guys test it first and you let me know how it goes. Like, I'm not getting, I'm not going to be one of the first ones. Well, I like, will test it. He's like, I might do it when they, when they master it in a hundred years, but I'm not, he's like, I'm not trying to beat the first guy. You know what, Kyle? <laughs> You can agree with him or not, but I'm just saying you're going to have one night where you go out and have some adult beverages, and next thing you know, you're going to be like, yeah, let's go try that self-driving car. I'm ready. Oh, at one point I'll do it, but I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not like, oh, I can't wait for self-driving cars. But when the new Uber that's only self-driving cars exists, yeah, I'm like, well, it's my way home. So, Yeah. yeah. I think that's what most people are going to be exposed to it at first, uh, for sure. Because it's going to be in in relatively expensive cars initially, uh, once it, it becomes available, uh, but it's going to trickle down definitely. Um, I'd say within the next ten years or so, uh, most of the cars manufactured are going to have some kind of driving self driving capability. Was that prediction? Ten years. Ten years. Okay. That's my prediction. I don't disagree. I just we'll just... check in on episode. How many? <laughs> um, a lot. Five hundred. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, pretty much five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Be right up. I'm holding. I'm holding you against this forever, or just right. so you know. Yeah. I'm yeah. serious. Episode five, whatever it would be, five thirty, five thirty nine. 535, whatever episode we're on now, plus 520. That That is when I will follow up with you and be like, yo, you promised us. I did, all it's right. all on you. <laughs> Sounds good to me. It's going to be glorious. Um, so we previously mentioned before the break about the solar eclipse that's happening on the 21st. Google is going to do an announcement on Android O. Um, so there's this Virgil article that came out on how to use the iNaturals app, naturalist app, to record weird, weird animal behavior during the eclipse. Uh, did any of you follow up on this? I re really didn't uh, read much about it, but it sounds really, really interesting. I don't know if anyone else did, but I, I read through and added this to the show notes, actually. Also want to comment, definitely tried to set you up for a segue to this topic a couple minutes ago, just too early. Uh, oh, I ruined it. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's fine. I was too too ambitious, but um, yeah. So this is um, an app basically, which 
has this i don't know what the lifespan of this app is it seems like it's something that's um meant to be used throughout the year but it's being focused on during this uh period when the eclipse is pending um it's basically uh utility which was developed so that in this event when the eclipse uh, takes place you can focus on the activity of plants and animals around where you are observing the eclipse and essentially take notes or upload media regarding the behavior of animals and plants during that time to see how they react, what they do. Um, it takes care of things like metadata for you. So like the location, time, um, I guess, in what sequence pictures are taken as a result of that. Um, and you can attempt to identify what plant organism, etc., cetera, um, you're documenting or the app apparently, I mean, it's described by a journalist, uh, Ed Young, as a cross between Shazam and an old fashioned field guide in this Verge article I'm reading. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, they're develop it's developed with the capability of identifying these plants or animals for you based on your pictures um, to some extent, which is cool in general. But really what interests me about this and why I threw it in the show notes is this idea of the collection of scientific data on a massive scale using um, personal devices, having an app developed for that purpose that's you know smart enough um, to use artificial intelligence. Um, well, I don't know if that's the right term to use here, but basically use software to narrow down specifics about this and then aggregate that data um, present it to people who study it and analyze it, and then you come up with conclusions about things you normally couldn't. Um, when eclipses would happen in the past, this was definitely not an initiative that was taken before there were smartphones, uh, computers for that matter. Um, so I'm just interested to see what kind of things like this continue to happen in the future when these phenomena happen and you know, each one of us can basically be a field researcher. Yeah, it's really great because like you don't have that many scientists and there's only so many things that they can keep an eye on. So if you have the collective of everyone who has a smartphone and whoever downloads this app or hears about this, uh, that's uh, exponentially more data than you would get uh, otherwise if you were just using just regular scientists. So uh, this is definitely awesome for gathering that information uh, that you might not have thought of or just observing something that uh, someone hasn't thought of uh, before. Uh, this is really interesting. Um, it's it's almost like the beginning of the Star Trek uh, tricorder. Oh, we definitely. Yeah, our phones are definitely turning into uh, something on that level for sure. Yeah. Utilizing machine learning on a mass scale like this. It kind of reminds yeah. me of that... Um, the effort that was made with the protein folding. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, folding at home. Yeah, so they had people- I did that for a while. Yeah, it was like a game to fold these protein structures. And like, I'm not sure, I mean, Irvin, if you did it, why don't you talk about it a little more? Cause I didn't, but. Um, so it was, you got this problem um, that took a lot of CPU uh, power to solve and, I, I don't know the science behind it that much, but I know it helps in 
identifying cancers and uh, finding issues when uh, proteins fold incorrect way. I know I'm not correct in anything that I'm saying right now, but it's a, it, it takes computational data and uses extra power that you might be just wasting. So let's see if your computer on all day and most of the day it's not doing anything. If you use that power to for good uh, during the day and actually solve problems for scientists. Uh, there's another one that uh, you can use to help look for um, extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's multiple other ones that you can use extra CPU power that you might have at home just to help out with scientific research. Yeah, so apparently this, this thing was called Foldit, the one I was mentioning. Um, it's about like the prediction of protein structures. Um, so with, the, with this game, uh, you could, you know, it helps scientists identify natural structures of proteins. Um, and that would essentially, like, again, I didn't do this, so I don't know how it worked like, uh, specifically, but it helped with, you know, matters of treating diseases or like, um, parasites, waste, pollution, um, DNA, you know, the way that the structures folded. And basically, like you were saying with the computation, if you have, it's approximately in 2010, like 57,000 people were doing this. So tying back to this, you know, I naturalist, I'm expecting when it gets this kind of attention on the verge and podcasts like ours, um, you can ex- hopefully expect thousands of people to be gathering data for this, which is pretty cool. I'm actually really excited about it. Um, I- I've always been curious and I've never done any research just because I'm lazy and get distracted easily, but I-, I, I've always been really curious. I mean, you see how even growing up, you start to notice that like, Hey, the dog acts weird before a storm comes before I even knew that it was there. I mean, you see these small things where animals seem to be more connected with the world, or at least we perceive them to be, uh, and, and like the actual earth and what's going on in the world. And, and when, when bad things are happening, I think there's more of a spiritual connection between, uh, animals and, and the earth and, and I mean, life itself. And it's really interesting to see something that's rare like this, for us to be able to have so much hands-on data available to us. And not only that, but us being the ones that are helping scientists get this data is also like a cool side effect of it. But getting all that data to see how animals react to a phenomenon that you don't get to see really often, uh, it it's just going to be really cool. It's not something you can study all the time. So the fact that we have the technology to help scientists study this uh, and then we get to see an even better result is just exciting to me. I, I, I'm, I'm not super diehard in the nature, but things like that have always intrigued me. So, Yeah, for sure. I was, I was thinking about going down to actually see the full eclipse, but I uh, didn't get to make plans in time, but uh, I'm excited to see um the even a partial eclipse uh look where we are um it'll be an interesting event um i saw one back when i was 11 um but that was in europe uh that wasn't in the u.s this one this is the first one in the u.s in a long time 
and it covers the entire U.S. It goes from all the way from the West Coast down to far reaches, down to Georgia and South. Yeah. Where do you have to be to get the full eclipse, Earth? Uh, there's a map on the Verge that shows you. You just enter your zip code, and it shows you. Uh, I'm showing it on the live stream right now. Uh, the st- starts out of North Oregon, and then it goes into an arc down ends towards South Carolina. Is that North- right? Yeah, South Carolina. Yeah. Cool. Georgia area. Uh, but right where we are, it's about a 90% eclipse. So we're going to see a, a decent coverage, but it's not going to be pitch black like it would be right where in the center of uh, where it's happening. We got to get them glasses, man. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely do not look at the sun because you will be uh, blinded. Um, never look directly into the sun. Yeah, I find this this whole eclipse thing fascinating because it's cool the way that these giant planetary objects interact. But at the same time, I always think about the probability of it. And I was reading an article on EarthSky.org where they compare. They say, you know, is it coincidence that the the moon perfectly blocks out 100% of the sun, leaving like the corona and the the waves you can see around it? And it's because the the sun is 400 times the diameter of the moon, and it's also 400 times further away uh, from Earth than the moon is. So it's like. It's interesting how that all worked out, right? Right. Yeah. It all worked out for this point in time. Like the, yeah. the probability of that is mind blowing, I think. I had a coworker who was laughing with me, saying that he was talking to his neighbors about this. And I guess they had a, a moment of poor, poor uh, mathematics. And they said, Well, is it the moon coming in between the earth and the sun, or the sun coming in between the earth and the moon? <laughs> <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, that he, would be scary. He was, uh, yeah, he was we, laughing. Dead for sure. He was yeah. laughing pretty hard. Um, and then I, I looked up some, some math and about how many million Earths could fit inside the sun. And actually, the moon's a lot further from the Earth than I thought it was, um, but not nearly far enough for the sun to fit in between the two. <laughs> so there's a, a little humor for our listeners and you guys. Um. Any any final comments on the eclipse or? Uh... Oh um, yeah, if you guys if if you're listening and you, and you want to go out and get the the glasses, do some research beforehand because I saw a news report where um, you know, obviously you have to look for like these certain uh, verifications and certifications that they have on there, but they they also bought some glasses uh, on the news, and they had those certifications on there and it was still fake. It still wasn't gonna. It was, still wasn't right up to uh, up to the correct specs that you need to not go blind so uh, definitely do your research before you buy them just so you're not buying them thinking you're good and then hurt yourself yeah also for all you uh camera enthusiasts out there if you're using an nd filter you you want to buy a custom one or use an actual solar film because most nd filters only go to like nd uh 400 and the he recommended for solar eclipse is a hundred thousand nd hundred thousand yep sounds bright and using uh, <laughs> thanks Irvin that's very insightful yeah. the, uh, where's my Captain Obvious hat and when you that. when you use a lens like a telescopic or you know um, a camera it just amplifies the effect as well right mm-hmm. so yep. um, that's where you're really going to do a lot of damage to your, your eyes so uh, take you caution alternative you, you can just use a welder's mask 
put it on front of your lens. <laughs> you could. <laughs> you have a large enough lens on that. <laughs> well, you burn out the, you'll burn out the camera if you don't use anything, right? Will that actually well, damage you your camera? You could, you could damage the image sensor. Yeah, you could. Damage uh, your eye through the viewfinder. You don't want to do that. Forgive me. I'm, you know, no photographer. But um, so in theory, you could wear the welder's mask behind the camera. Yeah. Yeah. So, Irvin, I'll see you out there with your mask on. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yes. Um, oh, um, you mean the eclipse? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we met like tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Just chilling outside. <laughs> it was like, yep, one o'clock as usual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, um, yeah, moving into other photography discussion um instagram kind of a lighter topic not as fascinating in my opinion but for you instagram users uh, i know urban and not as fascinating as the sun being bright yeah um, exactly but i know you guys love insta (laughs) um i'm not an avid user but there's a a new feature that has been rolled out um where you can reply to photos videos and reshared posts now um that are sent to your uh, inbox with your own photo video but now you can put a sticker of whatever you're responding to uh in your picture so there's some some cute examples here on this page of uh someone getting a, a picture of a little pup and then they send a response bag with the pup's face on their head uh <laughs> i don't see a maintenance man change the light bulb here <laughs> <laughs> that's that's because they're leaving that for you ryan i'm waiting to see that monday you for all you viewers, yeah. <laughs> gosh if you only knew well, it just just going to show like Snapchat was doing this how many months ago, you know, maybe yeah. a year, oh, even a year ago. It's just their Instagram's finally catching up, and it's not they can't really cut out from what I can tell. They can't really cut as precisely as Instagram can. Snapchat just kind can. of slapping a sticker on there. Yeah, snap. I mean, snap, uh, Snapchat. Sorry. Yeah, I say Instagram. <laughs> At least from yeah, just another example of Instagram copying some kind of Snapchat feature. Um and getting more users out of them because yeah, they are said that too. They're all, already beating Snapchat into daily active users just because they had, there's more people on Instagram and they just happen to start using their stories because it's right there. Uh, they don't have to go sign up for another app like Snapchat if they're not already using it. Especially yeah. if you're all older than I'd say 25 or 27. Uh, Good. Well, what are you saying? Good or <laughs> Maybe that's a little too. Let's say thirty. All right. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. That's <laughs> uh, still not quite far enough, but yeah, I know plenty of thirty-year-olds snapping it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> you know moral story. Is it's a matter of time before yeah. these ideas are taken from other companies? I don't know. Does Facebook have this yet? I guess Facebook, Instagram is like the same thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I figure. Technically, yeah. <laughs> So, where else can we expect to see this? <laughs> uh, maybe it'll come out on your smartphone by default in the near future. But, um, yeah, not 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 thrilling to me, guys. This one here. I would like to see a, a slop shop app. <laughs> slop shop app by Jaybuzz, maybe. I don't know. Are you, are you, is that a request? Mm-hmm. Yes. Nope. <laughs> yep. If if you're not uh if you weren't listening to our episode talking about the the retirement of MS Paint, just so for our our listeners who aren't aware and our viewers who aren't aware, 
slop shops are my specialty. Uh, <laughs> it's basically where I, I perform the, a similar task to what you would do in Photoshop, but I do it all in MS Paint and in about 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and it's glorious. It's, it's a Unrivaled. Work. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty fun. I got to put it that way. And I, I have an archive of about 3,000 of these from the past year. <laughs> so since that last article wasn't that thrilling or that wasn't that interesting, I, I sort of forgot about this one that came through this week. Uh, Google published a um, a blog post, a research blog about uh, they came out with an AI that uh, fairly easily found a way to remove watermarks from photos yeah, on the internet. I saw this. So I thought this was very interesting because I know Thompson puts a little signature on the bottom corner of his pictures. Um, I don't personally put any watermarks on my photos. Uh, but now that this AI uh, came out and shows you how to actually quickly remove watermarks. But in that same research blog, Google also posted how to prevent this from happening. Oh, sorry. Hit my mic there. Uh, how to prevent this from happening uh, so uh, that you can still protect your images even after uh, this uh, software is now available um, or the way to do it is now available uh, freely on the internet so that you can still protect images and the fix is fairly uh simple all you have to do is add a little random warp to the watermark and that makes it uh hard enough for the ai to figure out how to uh remove that watermark and still leave a remnants of it behind in the picture you guys can see i'm showing um on the screen here so but after the water warp, watermark warp is applied, you can still see a remnants of that watermark even after the AI has went went through it and tried to remove it. So, guys, this, uh, what they said, Irvin, is that basically it takes a bunch of photos with the same watermark in the same location and same size, et cetera, and can pretty much hone down on what areas contain the watermark because it's a repeated pattern and then remove that from the image, right? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Does, is that just filling in the empty space with like a, a blend of colors that would be there between the pixels? Like, how does that work? Or is it, just assume, a, is it a layer? I assume so. They're comparing two different photos that might be similar, but have the watermark in the same exact location. Like, let's say you're looking at a site that has a bunch of, like in this example, soccer pictures, and you see a lot of subsequent shots of the, the kids running around playing soccer and each one has a watermark on it. You can compare the shots in between and you can use the AI to find, okay, this spot's supposed to be green. So if I just blend this in or use a stamp tool like feature, uh, like it is on Photoshop to blend that, uh, out that watermark out and yeah. the way to, that they found to mitigate this so that the AI has trouble uh, doing is by warping the watermark in each photo that you apply this watermark to so that the AI has trouble looking at that consistent watermark in each and every picture. Um, well, Ryan, I'm looking at Ryan right now and 
I, I don't see a notepad. Are you, are you getting this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's it kind of runs along the lines of what Google's showing off at the uh, I/O summit. Yeah, they were showing off this awesome feature where you're, let's say, you're behind uh, the your, let's say, your yeah, your kid's baseball game, baseball game. Kyle, you can relate to this, uh, and you're taking a, a your a picture of your uh, kid at at bat. Um, and you're behind a fence, right? So you still see the fence in between you and the and your uh, and your kid that you're taking a picture of. And Google came out with an AI that uh, would remove that fence and would make it look like it was never there. Uh, yeah, that was one of the coolest things of the whole conference for me. Uh, they haven't released that feature yet, and I think that's coming to Google Photos at some point this year. Um, well, this is very similar to that type of, of removal, uh, for sure. Yeah, cool. it's, it's pixel uh, color replacement. Yeah. Maybe, I wonder if it'll ever get to the point where like, you could take a tree out of a skyline or something like that. Sure. Oh, you can do that now with Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure an AI could do it. Uh, it's I'm just sure. all about automating, right? If you have the right. right skills and you Photoshop, you can do that today, but it takes time and... and, mm -hmm. and talent right you have to know how to use those tools but if you're going to automate it and make it available to pretty much anyone with just the press of a button right yeah, they, have to, they have to train an ai like uh, it's like you know when when they're listening or when you're using pandora radio you can hit the like button or the, the down button it's you're yeah. training the probability of you know it's, it's now it's using an algorithm it's like all right so it likes this type of wavelength it, it likes this beat per minute and it's just identifying it so if you're looking at a picture it's identifying it's like oh well this looks like the watermark i saw before it starts identifying those lines and it's like well okay so here are the, the pixels like that where the color starts to deviate from those lines and it tries to replicate those within where the watermark was so it just replaces those pixels by color gotcha i'm in talent nice i've got one of those maybe <laughs> Yeah, so I stopped putting my signature on things, right? <laughs> no, man, keep doing it. Just, oh, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just curve the signature. You gotta protect that brand, man. Protect oh, it. yeah. Such just a put it in a different brand. spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just keep moving it around. <laughs> Flickr.com slash photos slash Wayne R. Thompson. Just saying. Mm hmm. <laughs> Check it out. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah, I've been posting more and more. Uh, getting back into the swing of photography and getting out there and, and actually shooting more pictures uh, for sure. Uh, you can find it at Instagram.com slash Irvin, E-R-V-I-N dot Lucas, L-U-K-A-C-S. Check it out. It was awesome that you can see that so many applications of AI are coming to different areas and how it can do different things and you could just teach it to basically do anything. And in this case was trying to teach it to remove watermarks. Really interesting. All right, boys. I don't know. Does anybody else have any other comments on the, on the, the last topic there? None for me. No. Yeah, I'm good. Jay, but you want to get that plug plug ski in? It's a quick plug for myself. Been a little inactive, a little disappointed, but, uh, do a soundcloud.com slash F-R-E-H, Fre. Uh, that's where I do upload my beats when I create them. So if you 
uh, enjoy the intro break and outro music at all in our show um or just want to check out something new that you may not hear on spotify or the radio take a listen i put a lot of time and effort into it so i'm excited about the stuff my man produces so definitely uh definitely especially if you can hold out down the pipeline i think he's got some big things coming so thanks man so i uh, definitely keep your keep your ears ready <laughs> for some frenness <laughs> See what I did there? I love it. <laughs> um, uh, if you guys wouldn't mind doing me a favor, please. I know we haven't updated a little bit. Stick with us. Keep checking out my wrestling podcast on air with Keenan and Kyle. Uh, this weekend is SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. So we will be back on Facebook doing a video, Chase and I, with the new improved HD camera that you guys see me have in the, uh, on this podcast. We'll be doing another Facebook Live uh, previewing how we feel about the big matchups uh, at this weekend's events over in Brooklyn. Um, and uh, hopefully Keenan and I can get back on the same page. Uh, he just started a new job. Uh, so I'm happy for him. Stinks that we have a delay, but I'm happy for him. So please keep checking us out. Uh, always appreciate it. All right. Um, you can find us on Podbean at industry, F-O-U-R-O-H dot Podbean dot com. Um, can also search for us as we reminded you earlier on Google Play, iTunes, and YouTube at industry 4.0. Uh, Twitter our handles industry F O U R O H, Facebook.com slash industry F O U R O H, Twitch.com slash industry F O U R O H. Guys, look for the image. It's uh, industry with the four black and green gears, as you see right now on a Twitch stream if you're tuning in. Uh, do us a favor, like, subscribe, share, and most of all, uh, rate us. Uh, we appreciate any feedback we get. Of course, five stars are welcome. Uh, and tell your friends, please. We, we just want to get the word out there. Uh, we really love doing this and would love to continue doing it. Before you officially wrap it up, Jay Buzz, I told people I would promise them I would give them a shout out if they gave us reviews. We don't have a lot on iTunes yet, and uh, obviously I don't have Google Play on here, so I can't give you those. I will get them ready for next week's episode, but big shouts out to Dan Sontag, who's a friend of mine, and then Sam Wolf and Adam Hinson, uh, all leaving five-star reviews on the on the Facebook page. So we appreciate the feedback, guys. Feel free to let, leave comments and let us know what you think, too. So Always love to hear that. So um, with that, guys... Uh, that has been episode 15 of Industry 4.0. Uh, we appreciate Woo! you tuning in. Take care. Hey.